it was always right about this time of the year, about the, the week, our weekend before Christmas, the J.C. Penny and Sears catalog, Christmas catalog would arrive. And for the next a month, me and my brothers would go through and we would look at and circle and anticipate all of the toys in this catalog. And then it seemed like, you know, you'd make it through Thanksgiving and then you'd start counting the number of days of school left and then you'd get off for break and we would go to my uh, grandparents' house uh, for Christmas Eve and we would come home in the evening time and it was always uh, great. Then we'd come home, we'd get a little snack and then we would go to bed and anticipate what was going to happen on Christmas morning. The, the whole time from, from Thanksgiving to Christmas was just kind of focused around this catalog. And by the time uh, Christmas came along, there were so many circles and dog-eared pages and all of this. Because you were looking forward. There was this anticipation of what is to come. As believers, we live with a book that gives us great anticipation of what is to come. Unfortunately for many of us, we've, 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 we know the story, we've heard about it, we know that the end of all things is near, and yet somewhere along the line, we lose that sense of passion and focus. But I want to challenge us today to think about service and action because the end is near. We should serve for the glory of God, to serve to the glory of God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse number 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse number 7. We're going to ha- uh, look at the passage all the way through the end of the chapter, down through verse number 19. Uh, but we're going to just read verse number 7 together. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 7. It says this, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And with that, let's pray together. And Lord, we do ask, God, that you would move in a special way today, and that you would draw us to to see your Son and challenge us to be people of action. Lord, we... Uh, We know there's a challenging day around us. And we know that we're called to live differently and to serve until that day which you call us home. In your name, amen. Anticipation of the end of all things. As... Peter is writing to believers in this first century. It's a very difficult day. They're facing persecution. There is, there is this anti-Christian sentiment in the Roman Empire that is filled with idolatry and immorality. And then Peter writes to them and talks about the fiery trials they've been through. And as we look at verses 12 through 19, he's going to talk about the suffering that they're experiencing. But he tells them something in verse number 7 that needs to be riveted into our heart and mind. The end of all things is near. 
Now, for believers at this time in Peter's day, they were looking for the return of Christ to come. They knew the challenges that were around us, and they knew that the Lord Jesus was going to come and take over one day, and they were looking for and longing for that day. And so when Peter writes to them and says, the end of all things is near, they're thinking in their mind, Jesus is coming. The the wrong shall be made right. Peter calls them not just to sit back and think about it, and dream of the sweet by and by. But in light of the end of all things, Peter calls them to action. He calls them to work and to serve and to persist and be consistent in their faith until that day where the end is come. So as Peter writes these believers... He challenges them to serve until that day, the end of all things. He challenges them to persist even in suffering until that day. The end of all things is near. So live for Jesus. Make an impact on others. Don't just dream about heaven, but try to take some people with you. Don't just think of the by and by, but who can we influence and impact on the way? And that's what Peter calls these believers to do. To stay sharp and to stay focused and to keep serving and keep persisting until the end. And I would challenge you with the same thing. We don't know when the end is going to come. I mean, we can have our charts and our speculation, but we do not know. But this is what we clearly know. Until he comes, we should be busy about his work. Until he comes, we should be following and seeking his will. Until he comes, we should not be deterred by the persecution and ridicule of the world. Until he comes, we serve to his honor and glory. He tells us in verse number seven that the end of all things is near. And so I want us to really, we're going to have to move quickly, but I want us to think about six, six challenges for us as, as we look at this truth that the end of all things is near and how we're to serve to the glory of God. He says, verse seven, the end of all things is at hand. Number one, if we're going to be ready and we're going to be making a difference, then we have to be certain And you have to be certain you're ready when Jesus comes. Be certain you're ready. If the end of all things is at hand, it could happen at any time. It's near. The Lord says, I'm not waiting on anything. If the end of all things is at hand, are you ready? And I'm not just saying, are you busy? But are you ready? Are you ready? If Jesus appeared to you today... And said, okay, the end of all things is at hand. Why should I let you into heaven? If your words involve things like work, attend, earn, give, fulfill responsibility. Can I tell you? You are looking and aiming in the absolute wrong direction. It's not a matter of you doing something and achieving some level and working and serving enough to be ready. 
He says, be ready, the end of all things is at hand. Paul reminds us that by grace we are saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. You can't get ready to go to heaven by doing good things. You, you can't get ready for, for meeting Jesus by, by uh, stepping up and saying, look, I deserve to be let in because of, and you fill that blank in. The truth is, is the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and trust and faith in him. As Paul and Silas would tell the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It is faith. It is belief. It is trust in what Jesus has done for us that makes us ready. Now, once we receive Jesus by faith, once we trust what he's done on the cross for us, then he calls us to get busy. But getting busy is out of gratitude and fulfilling his plan after we've already received salvation, not as a means of receiving salvation. There's a lot of difference there. Because when I talk to people and ask them, do you know if, if you die today, you'd go to heaven? Oh, yeah. So how do you know? Well, I mean, I'm a good husband. I go to church. I'm a member. I give. I serve. I sing. Friends, those are all wrong answers. The only answer is believing in Jesus Christ and trusting him alone as the only way of salvation. That has to be very crystal clear because Peter is writing to believers. He, he tells us that at the very beginning of the book, that this book is written to those who are already in faith, uh, walking in faith with a relationship with Jesus. So we have to be certain we're ready. If you don't know for certain, that's a matter of faith. Now, after we receive Jesus in our life, then there's some challenges for us to walk in God's will and to serve in such a way that we help and impact others along the way and we stay focused in our walk with him. So pick up with me back in verse number seven. We have to be certain that we are ready. Secondly, we have to be attentive in prayer. Notice what it says. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. The word in talking about being serious is to be sober-minded, to, to have a seriousness and a balance in your life. The opposite of this is for someone who's looking around and they're in a panic and they're in a frenzy. He's saying, look, you don't have to be in a panic and you don't have to be in a frenzy. You don't have to be all worked up, but be watchful, watching up, watching around, and be serious and sober-minded as you pray. And as you pray, you have to understand you have a God who sovereignly is in control of all things, that is working all things together for good to those who love him. And though we do not understand the full capacity of what that means, we do understand in verse number nine that we recognize that God is our faithful creator. And as the creator and sustainer of our life, he has a plan for us. So our attentiveness and our severity uh, and so seriousness in, in prayer involves this fact that I have my faith rooted in him. And I pray with a serious, sober-minded heart. 
As we think of being sober-minded, ten times in the pastoral epistles, Paul challenges the believers to be sober-minded, to have a sense of seriousness about them in their spiritual walk. Listen, the spiritual life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And, and our faith is not just to be fed sugar and sweets. We have to understand that as we take in the truth of God's word, that we may be called to, to stand in a difficult and challenging day, and we need the truth of God's word to be rooted in. The richest man in the world right now, uh, th- there's been a debate this year. If it was Jeff Bezos through uh, the, the whole beginning of the year, and now, just in the last couple of months after Bezos' uh, divorce and, and after Microsoft has just surged again, now they're thinking Bill Gates is probably the richest man in the world, estimated about $110 billion worth of net worth. Bezos, about $109 billion worth of net worth. Can I tell you, those guys can buy tickets and travel anywhere and do anything, but they cannot pay their way into heaven nor gain an audience in prayer with the King of kings and Lord of lords except through Jesus. It is not a matter of money. It is a matter of faith. And when we trust the Lord Jesus, he tells us to be watchful and are sober-minded in prayer. The very fact that we can have an audience with the King of kings and Lord of lords from the poorest person in the world who has faith in Jesus, they have access to the absolute throne of the Most High who contains all the riches and holds everything in his hand. That's the picture and the responsibility and the delight of our prayer. We're called to be attentive in prayer. Hey, be certain you're ready. Be attentive in prayer. But then slide down, look at me, uh, look with me into verse number eight. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Third challenge is to be generous in love. Listen, if we've said yes to Jesus, now he says, look, I want you to understand the opportunity that you have to be, uh, to have an audience with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and to step before his throne in prayer. But as you go around in this world and as you anticipate the coming of Jesus, take on the character of Jesus and show love. A fervent love. It pictures an athlete straining, moving, striving, struggling. Sometimes to love the unloving and the unlovely and the unlovable takes a fervent effort. And he says, let this fervent love, just let it show through your life so that people can see. Listen, people are not impressed with how much we know. They need to be impressed with how much we love. He says that we're to have this fervent love. So how do we flesh that out? Let me just give you three thoughts. First off, be kind. Be kind. On your social media, this probably may be more for a second hour, but on your social media, be kind. When your waitress is slow, be kind. 
When, when things don't go exactly the way that you want, show kindness anyway. Love is patient. Love is kind. If the believing community would just take those two aspects of being patient with others and showing kindness to others, my goodness, how our world might see something different in us. Show kindness. But then he mentions a couple of specific areas. Notice verse number uh, 8. Love covers a multitude of sins. Extend forgiveness. Love does not condone sin, but love will forgive sin. And it will cover it and not fish it back up anytime there's another issue or another challenge or another problem. Love covers a multitude of sins. As you think about that, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ Jesus has forgiven you. How much have you been forgiven? Would you show kindness to forgive others? The truth of it is here. Forgiven people are to be forgiving people. And because I have been forgiven so much, I need to be a forgiving person. I'm to show kindness. I'm to extend forgiveness. But then also there's the area of hospitality. Notice what, what, what he, he challenges us then to be hospitable, to share hospitality. In that day, they didn't have hotels and motels. And so when a Jewish brother or sister came into town, then as part of the Jewish culture, you would welcome them into your home and you'd feed them. They didn't have the Holiday Inn Express. They, they welcome people in the, and, and the Lord says, be hospitable and do it without grumbling. <laughs> uh. It's the old adage of, of, you know, sometimes people might wear out their welcome or, uh, the, the, the truth is, is he says, be hospitable and do it without grumbling. Can I tell you that, that applies to your life? It applies to what we have and how we act. But can I tell you this? It should apply to how we act right inside these walls. That we should show for those of us who are members, it is so easy for us as we come in and we catch up with all of our friends maybe we haven't seen to overlook that person that's here for the first time or the second time and they don't know anyone else. And we can get so caught up and so focused on catching up with my friends and my people that I miss reaching out to someone that I do not know. And I refuse by my focused attention elsewhere to share hospitality. Can I challenge you with that? As you all are leaving your Bible study time, there will be people that will come on this campus, some for the first time this week. There, there will be people who have come in and they'll come and sit in, in, in here. And they'll wonder, does anyone really care? Have I been greeted? Have I been welcomed? Are the people warm and friendly? Not just to each other, but to others. 
There's the picture that we need to be certain that we're ready and attentive in prayer. We need to be generous in love. Then he goes on. Notice with me, pick up in verse number 10. We are to be faithful in service, but each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Here's the picture of us living and serving to the glory of God. That in all things in our life, God is to be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. We are to be faithful in service. Now, notice what he says in verse number 10. As each one has received a gift. At the moment of salvation, every one of us receives a spiritual gift. Some of you, this may be absolute news to, but notice in verse number 10. Each one has received a gift. Here's the challenge. We've received a gift. You need to use your gifts. You need to use your gifts. God's given you abilities. Some he talks about ministering. Some here he talks about speaking. But the truth of the matter is, is that you may be a person who has unique spiritual gifts that are needed in this body and you need to use them somewhere. Maybe you're a great administrator or maybe you're someone who is filled with the gift of mercy. We need both. We need people who can look and administrate and lead and crunch numbers and all of those kinds. And we need people who are just going to be kind and compassionate and loving and share with others along the way. That's what we need. We need people who, who, who can have not just spiritual gifts, but natural abilities in the area of music. We, we need that. Listen, God's given you a specific supernatural gift. So use your gift and use your gift as a good steward. Use your gift as a good steward. If God's given you something to manage and to watch over, then use it. Don't, don't be the person with one talent that Jesus gives the parable of and they take their one talent and they go bury it in the ground. Can I tell you, I don't think there's attendance prizes in heaven. I don't think. You might get uh, the little patches and had the little patches of how many times you attended Sunday school when you were a kid and did all of those kinds of things. God is interested in your attendance, but he's more interested in the impact that you make on others by stewarding and managing and serving and using the gifts that he's given you. You say, man, I don't, I, what are spiritual gifts? I don't even know what they are. Well, let me just encourage you. First Peter chapter 4 is a great place to dive in. There's other places. And I have uh, a spiritual gift inventory in my office. And if you're interested, we'll get one to you this week uh, on, on the, what the spiritual gifts are. At the moment of salvation, you received a supernatural spiritual gift that God gives to each one of us uniquely, specifically, purposefully, so that you can serve the body. You can make a difference in the world, that you can have a purposeful life. We are his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10 tells us. So we are to use our gifts, and we are to use our gifts as good stewards. Now, notice what, what he says. Each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another. We're to use our gifts as a good steward. We're to minister as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are to be good stewards. We're to manage well what God has given us. And then ultimately, it's to the glory of God. That's why he says in verse number 11, that in all things, God may be glorified. That all things, God may be glorified. 
Are you managing well what God's given you? Peter then takes verse number 12 and following, and he turns the corner. He says, look, this is my challenge. The end of all things is at hand. You, you, you need to be certain. You need to be attentive in your prayer. You need to be generous in your love and faithful in your service. But then, let me just tell you the, that it's not all just the, the joy of serving, but there's challenges and difficulty that come with it. And he calls us then to be joyful in suffering. Be joyful in suffering. Notice with me in verse number uh, 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. (laughs) He's talking about suffering and he uses the word joy twice. A.D. 64, the city of Rome is on fire. The wooden structures... The narrow streets have caused this fire to rage. And as the fire is raging, they say that Nero wanted to refurbish uh, Rome, so uh, he was gleeful as he was able to look and see the fire rage. But he blamed it on the Christians. Even when they tried to put the fire out, they said that soldiers went to different places and helped to stir the fire up. Peter calls us to be joyful in suffering, that we are to be glad and we are to rejoice. Why? Because when we face suffering in our life, we get a little taste like Jesus did and partake in the suffering that he did and have the privilege to walk alongside of him and face what he faced when he was on the earth. And he tells us that when that happens, the spirit of glory in God rests on us. Now that is powerful. Notice, notice what he says. If you are reproached, verse number 14, for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. I humbled to think at the people who across our world today are called to stand for Jesus in difficult and even deadly places as they hold on to the gospel. It's very real. Across the Middle East, many places, if you profess the name of Christ, it could be not just being ostracized from your family or kicked out of your town, but it could be death itself. The first Sunday in November is the day of prayer for the persecuted church and Stan shared that night and we watched some videos that evening of believers as they stand for Jesus under the great risk and duress of leaving everyone 
that has been an important part of their life. And instead of holding to the congratulatory sentiment of the world and their world, they have decided to follow Jesus and leave it all. I pray our nation never comes to that point, but it may. Let me ask, how will we as American Christians face suffering? Or how do we as Americans even face suffering today? When we face the persecution of the world, we face the challenges of the culture. I don't know about you, It's not typically a natural response to respond in joy. And yet that's exactly what Peter tells us to do. Because we partake of Christ's sufferings and the spirit of glory and God rests upon us. And God is glorified through that. And maybe, just maybe, as Paul was there consenting to the death of Stephen and those stones fell upon him, And he said, there at the right hand, I see Jesus standing. And he cries out, Father, forgive them. Just simply looking at the parallel to the words of Jesus himself. And yet it reminds us that that death was consented to by Saul, who later becomes Paul. And I don't think he ever forgot. If God calls us to be an example and to face suffering so that the kingdom can be extended. That's a big call and one that we're to find joy in no matter what. Be joyful in suffering. That really is the theme. Pick up with me then in verse number 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God... Uh, let that one absorb your mind for a minute. That God could actually allow us to suffer according to his will. We may not like it, but the answer is yes. Let those who suffer according to the will of God, notice what he says, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. We close it all and think, be committed to God. Be committed to God. And notice how God is described here. Commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Two key thoughts I just want to share on this. That we're to commit our souls to him. The word commit there gives a picture of a deposit. We have something precious in our life. Maybe you have some money and you've deposited in a bank and you trust that that, that bank or maybe it's in a, a retirement account or maybe you have it invested and someone is, is investing and watching over that for you. You take that and you, you give that deposit, you give that amount to that person and you trust that they're going to be able to make that money grow that that money is going to have an impact. And here the picture is, is that we deposit our life and we commit our life to him. And we say, Lord, here's the deposit, the treasure of my life. Lord, I entrust it to you. Let it bring the dividends that you desire. 
Let it impact the souls that are around me. God, here's my life. You've given me gifts. You give me opportunities. You allow me to have joy in suffering. And Lord, I commit my life to you. And Lord, may it make an impact. May it bring eternal dividends and let this man or this woman be touched. Or let this child or this student be impacted. Lord, I give my life to you. Lord, use it. Use it, use it to make a difference. And Lord, I'm not just trusting this to some financial speculator. I'm not trusting this to my, my, my treasure of my life to, to someone who, who may or may not guess the market's right. Lord, I'm entrusting the deposit of my treasure to my faithful creator who knows everything about me, who's made me his workmanship, who has a plan for my life and loves me and has heaven in front of me. But listen, but has me here now for a purpose and for a reason. Listen, if God wants you in heaven, he can take any of us there at any time. He has something for you here. So what he calls us to do is to say, look, would you take the deposit of your life and would you give it to me and say, Lord, here I am, everything. Lord, here's the circle I draw in. Lord, I jump in that circle and say, everything in that circle, Lord, is yours. I entrust it to you. You're the faithful creator. And as I entrust that to you, Lord, may it bring you eternal glory and may it bring to others eternal impact. And when I do that, and when I live that, then I know I'm ready when the end of all things is at hand. Are you ready? Do you know Jesus personally? Are you serving and living for Jesus passionately? Are you ready? Are you ready? The end of all things is at hand. And I don't know when it's going to come, but I know it's closer now than it's ever been. The end of all things is at hand.